Hey, woo, oh, whoa, yeah. So they, they just didn't hear me, that's all. How are you all doing today? Hey, we're already doing better, amen, praise the Lord. Wow, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm trying to get my thoughts all together. I got kind of got lost in worship, and uh, I love your worship here. Praise the Lord. I feel the move of the Holy Spirit, and that is a, that's a wonderful thing to feel. But yeah, me and my wife, we're so happy to be here, and my kids are all over the world. Uh, I got young David over here, my other kids hiding in the back, and uh, we, got my, we got a lot of, I just, yeah, I got to get into God's Word, but I just need a few minutes. I, I do want to honor uh, Pastor Rob. Uh, I thank, thank you so much for being youth directors back in the day. I got news for you. You thought you retired from youth work, but, but youth work's kind of like Hotel California. Remember that old song? I know you didn't listen to worldly music. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. See, when we die, they all get to rest. God puts us on the transportation committee, amen? But that's all right. But uh, we appreciate you. And Jonathan Baker, who I've been able to work with at some state events, uh, just love working with him. And way up, hiding up in the crow's nest, hiding away in the back, there's a Young man up there named Jared Ray Cano. You don't know his middle name's Ray, but I do. But Jared Ray came from California as well, and he actually was a part of my young adult group at the church that we pastored. And so he tried to run from me, but we came and we hunted him down like a dog. Amen. But it's so awesome to be uh, here with him today. And I just I want to kind of introduce myself and introduce my family a little bit about you, uh, about us, and where we get to be in Kentucky to serve as youth and discipleship directors and raise my kids. This is the last place that they're going to be at home with us. I have three teenagers who are in high school, and we are so excited to be able to raise them here. So we have some pictures, uh, if we can get one up. Of uh, well, First of all, let me tell you where I'm from. I noticed when he said we're from California, the absolute lack of a hand of applause in the room was deafening. And I know why. You all watch Fox News. I get it. Amen. California is a little bit crazy. It, it really is. But we're not from the normal part of California, if that helps at all. Uh, Pastor knows where we're from. We're not from L.A. with the, the palm beach or the beaches and the palm trees and the sunshine. We're not even from San Francisco area with the bridges and all that. No, we're, we're from the middle of California in this little farm town called Porterville. It's between Fresno and Bakersfield. So we're from the farm side of the town. So when everybody asks me how our family's transitioning from the move from California to Kentucky, everybody assumes it's this incredible culture shock. But as you see a picture there, that's the picture of a field that leads into the town where we pastored for 11 years, which leads up to the mountains above us with the giant sequoia trees. We, we're just kind of country folks. My, my, my mom and my wife's mom, they both worked in fields back in the day in agriculture. And my kids, they feel like they're city folk because they grew up in a city of 60,000 people. And that's a big city to them, amen. Louisville just kind of laughed at that, amen. That's like a neighborhood in Louisville. But my wife's from a town of about 600 people or so, and I'm from a smaller town, maybe about 10,000 folks and what have you. But we really are kind of country. And where we pastored, as I like to tell everywhere we go, just to give you a visual of how country we kind of are, is when you walk out of the church parsonage and you walk, take, a, you take a left and you go to the end of the block, it's four houses down, and there's an almond orchard field right there. And if you hang a right and you go half a block, there's a hay field. But if you hang a left instead, you go half a block, there's oranges planted right there. And if you go past the oranges, there's a goat farm. So if you can't even go to Walmart without going past almonds, hay, oranges, and goats, we're about as country as a Cracker Barrel biscuit's ever going to be. Amen? So if I talk like this, I say y'all and stuff, I'm not mocking people. I'm not, like, making fun of how people talk. This is just kind of how we talk where we're from. But I'm also a little California still. So if I say yo or I say bruh, just deal with it. Amen? I can't help it. It's who I am. And uh, that's, it's just the way we're going to roll. But that is where we're from. That's the church that we pastored for 11 years. Uh, Jared Ray got to be a part of that church for a season. Uh, it's the Porterville Church of My God is what we call it. Amen. And then the next slide, let me show you my family because they're all over. They're dispersed around your congregation. So there's us over at Balch Park. And uh, my lovely bride, Maria, next to me, we've been married. We just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary. Great is her reward in heaven. And great has been my reward in earth. Uh, I've met my wife at Fresno State University. I met her in Spanish class, and I sat behind her because she was the homecoming queen from the town next to mine. And I remember sitting next to her and using all the Spanish that I learned from my Mexican mother. I looked at her beautiful eyes, and I said, hola, siéntate aquí con mi. And the rest is history. She 
told me she don't date boys who don't go to church. And so she, I went to the Traver Church of God. You couldn't get 35, 40 people in there if you tried. And John Clyde Anderson, my spiritual father, some Choctaw Indian hymn from Oklahoma, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. I got saved, we got married, and then along came three mostly wonderful teenage kids later on in life. I got my oldest in the back, Elise. She is a senior at Dunbar High. Next to her is my youngest son, Ethan. He's a freshman at Dunbar High. And over here is my sophomore, Other David, as we like to call him. So I have three teenagers, and they're all in high school. And now we go have a prayer tunnel for me. Amen? Pray for me. Brother Fisher said, you want to come to Kentucky? I said, yes. I didn't know I had to bring all the teenagers with me. I was trying to get a little sleep, but it's okay. My kids are good. They are called of God, and we love our family very much. And one, there's many reasons God's brought us to Kentucky, there's no doubt. One of the biggest things we have the privilege of doing with the next slide is we get to bring back, come back, the summer camp for our teenagers, our middle schoolers, and our kids. We're going to have it. The 4th of July week is for teenagers, and then every Monday thereafter for three straight weeks. Our kids, if you will bring your children, you will send your teenagers. Maddie Summit, you're a bishop. You got the robe now. Now get on your work clothes too. Come work camp. We need help. Amen. Because we want these kids to have three things in everything we do. But above all, when they come to summer camp, I want you to repeat with me. Get in your head. Number one, say encounter. We want this generation to have an authentic, life-changing encounter with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the most important thing to me. If we can't have that in our gatherings, we're just hanging out. We're just having a good time. I want my kids to have happened to them what happened to my wife when she was called to ministry as a teenager. She received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a church of God ministry as well. And we want that for our teenagers. So number one, they're going to have an encounter. Number two, say equip. We're going to equip them with the word of God rightly divided, the word of truth. That is the answer to what our children and our teenagers are dealing with in the world today. They need the word of God. They need truth in a world of my truth. They need the truth. Amen. And number three, engage. Then we send them home, we send them back here, that they can be engaged in the local church, in their schools, in their homes, in their community, in the gifts and calling of God that are on their lives. I believe God still calls teenagers, God still calls children to ministry, and these are the things we want to have happen. So as far as sales pitches go, I really don't have one. The one I like to use is mostly this, do you want to send your teenagers and kids to summer camp this year, or should we just send them all to your house? And I'm telling you, they send them in droves. Amen. It's very motivating. So uh, th that's what I want to share about that. But at the end of the day, I want to share with you a word from the Lord that God has impressed in my heart for weeks when I was preparing to come here. I wasn't sure where I was going to go with it. And really, the last 48 hours, God's really settled this into my heart. I really don't have youth sermons per se. I have word from God that he's given me to share that I believe can speak to all three generations in this room, which is what I love so much about your worship team, a three-generational worship team where you have children, you have parents, and you have parents of parents. That sounds better than grandparents. Don't that sound younger? Amen? I'm getting there. I'll be there one day. I'm sure, no doubt about it. But we want to have a three-generational church, and we want to be a Pentecostal church. Amen? Or you could be Presbyterian. They're cool, too. they got good folks. We're a Pentecostal church. Amen? I know God ain't deaf, but God ain't nervous either. Amen? I want this generation, as they hear me today, to know there is power of God through the power of Pentecost. That Pentecost is so much more than a joyful shout, though I have much to shout about. I want the church, uh, we are a part of this great global movement that is the church of God to be able to communicate to an entire generation that the power of Pentecost is real. There is promise from God. He said, I will pour out my spirit in these last days upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. This is their promise. It is also not just promise. It is purpose. They're looking for purpose in life. Where do they fit in this world? This is a generation, and millennials even before them, were the first American generations that no longer went to church 
just because, but they will go to church if they feel there is a cause. Amen? They're like the mighty men of David. David, when he slayed Goliath as a young man, he did he not say, is there not a cause? This generation needs to know we have a cause. It is Jesus Christ. He has power to save, and he's given us purpose through his spirit because he said, when, wait until you receive this power from above that you would be my witnesses, that we could reach the world through the power of God. This is what I want our youth to experience, and that begins with us, the local church, exampling what the power of Pentecost is, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. A man once said, if I can quote him today, he said, the leading cause of atheism in America today are Christians who profess them with their lips on Sunday morning, but deny the power thereof and their lifestyle the rest of the week. That is what an unbelieving generation simply finds unbelievable. I can only speak for us and who we are. I want our youth to walk into our rooms and feel the power of Pentecost. I want them to hear more than a shout. I want them to see signs and wonders. I want them to know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, though the initial evidence of it thereof, are speaking in tongues. There is so much more beyond the speaking in tongues. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles, healing, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. There are tongues. There are interpretations. There is so much more to Pentecost than us giving a happy shout on Sunday morning, and I love the happy shout on Sunday morning. God has come this morning to speak to his church and to speak to his people a word of encouragement, a word of inspiration, and a word of direction. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Mark. In fact, if you'll stand with me just for the reading of God's word just for a moment, I will be reading from the gospel as written by Mark in the third chapter, verses 1 through 5. I'll be reading in the King's English because I'm going to preach it that way either way, so we're just going to stay there today. And he, being Jesus, entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth, or today's words, get up. And he saith unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Today, I believe God is speaking to his church today. The title that I've given this word, Give Me a Hand. So, Lord, as we look to you today, we don't just look, Lord, from a sermon, Lord, and a file, Lord, an oldie but goodie, oh, Lord, something we saw on TV or heard on the radio. We need a living word from the living God, speaking to us through the living spirit, Lord, where the bone meets the marrow. Speaking to us so personally that everyone walks out this room thinking you spoke exactly and specifically just to them. But yet speaking to us corporately here at Spirit Life, Lord, as you are moving them together forward, Lord, out of what's been such a difficult season, Lord, and into a season of reaping, Lord, for all the sowing that's been done in prayer. Let every generation hear the sound of your voice today, Lord, as it speaks through your minister today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Turn to somebody and say, good morning. All right. I think it's a great morning. It's a great morning to be in the house of God. Everybody watching at home, hi, Mom. Hope you're watching, too, in California. Amen. That'd be a miracle. She doesn't know how to do the Internet. She's 84 years young, but if she's watching, it's a sign of God. First thing I want to begin with in this story is really where they are and where I kind of feel we have even been. And the word I want to use today is stuck. Everyone say stuck. Now, I know what it's like to get stuck. I've been stuck in the mud. 
because I, I tried to drive off the concrete road into the, the hilly side of the road. We were actually in Mayfield after the tornadoes hit, and they had this big old Penske truck full of water, and they asked one of the young drivers, who's obviously a city slicker, to pull the truck around to the side, and he decided, why go through all the roads to do that? I just go over that there hill. It's only been raining. It's only muddy, and he got his Penske truck stuck in the mud. Now, I marvel because this wasn't my circus and it sure weren't my monkeys, so I'm just watching this whole thing unravel, and I'm watching the guys who are responsible for this truck, Maddie, and I'm seeing this, and you know what they're doing? They decided to solve the problem the same way when I used to be a sports writer and I worked in offices. This is how I would fix the printer problem when it had a little red flashing light saying it wouldn't work. What I would do is I just, nah, I'm not even violent enough to do that. That takes energy. And so I just kind of, whew. Yeah, it's not working. Yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe we can see if the other printer works. Yeah. <laughs> they just stood there. Yeah, they just looked at the truck all day. The truck sat there for five hours. They just unloaded all the other trucks. And at some point, I forget, I'm on camera. I will go back up here so I don't drive the camera. I'm going to give the cameraman. I should warn the camera guy up there. You will have carpal tunnel syndrome by the time you're done following me. Amen. I walk over the place. And I realized the solution to the problem was just kind of sit there and maybe hope the problem just goes away. I mean, maybe eventually this ground, would, the moisture will go away. It will harden up. It can... They can drive off, and what I find in the scripture that I read today, how does that fit this? Is what you see is Jesus walks again into the synagogue, and we find in there a man with a withered up hand. It's, we would call in today's terms, it's like a claw type hand. And there's lots of problems with the man being in church in those days who has a deformity within him. Hey, I don't even know why he's in there according to Old Testament scripture that they were living in, but apparently they have a guy in this church with a problem. And nobody seems to be doing anything about it, much less being even concerned that there's somebody with a problem. You have a man who is stuck in this withered situation where he is not at full health. He's not at full capacity. He's not firing on every cylinder. And he is surrounded by a body of believers who seem just as unconcerned about it as he is. And when we get stuck, I know when that truck first got stuck in the mud, my first thought was, this is a problem. Now, it's not my problem, but I see a problem here. And what you learned after a while, after five hours of me and my wife being there and doing other things, you actually forget after a while there's, there's actually a problem. You just get used to seeing a Penske truck stuck in the mud out in the field. Now, where I come from, it's not unusual to see cars out in the yard, amen? Now, you could rate the neighborhood. The more cars that are parked in the lawn itself, the lower the income bracket of the neighborhood is. And I'm telling you, we got them on wheels. We got them off wheels. We got them on blocks. Where I come from, we got called tree shade mechanics all over the place. My brother Mikey's king of them all. He has at least four cars parked at my mom's house that have not moved since approximately 1983. Amen. And you know what? It used to bug me. I go, hey, why are these cars? Mikey, this is our inheritance, Mikey. One day you're destroying the property value with all your vehicles. But now I go see my mom. I don't even realize how littered and disastrous the house is. Because I just got used to it. And I can't help but think, if Jesus is coming into synagogue and there's a man with a weathered hand, with a deformity, who isn't functioning the way he was created by God to function, and nobody else is really worried about it, I can't wonder sometimes, since March of 2020, and I pastored for almost that whole, all that time, up until August, I was pastoring a year and a half. I know how tough this has been. I know how painful it has been. I've had to bury people who I love dearly. I have seen some of the sick live. I've seen others die. I've seen the government get up in my business and all up in my Kool-Aid. I've had people leave the church because I wasn't careful enough. I had people leave the church because I was being too careful. I know what this journey has been and what I have seen is with church overwhelmingly in America, which is all I can speak to, it's where I live, has seemed to have gotten stuck in this place where we are longing to be where we were before COVID, 
And we're not able to get anywhere in the midst of this COVID season that we're in. I feel like we are still a little bit stuck. And I love Pastor Rob's vision that we need to have a season of moving forward. I mean, this is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. And I want, I wish everybody came back. I really do. But if we spend another year of our time waiting for everybody to get healthy and back on deck with us, we will just waste another year where the world is lost and dying and going to hell. But I'm still here waiting to get going again. Because this withered hand, we have this in the church. We've been crippled a little bit. We're not at full strength like we used to be. This is not God's design for us. God has not called us to be a hindered people. God has not called us to be anything less than 100% of the sacred creation that he has created us to be. We have gifts. We have calling. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have purpose in the Holy Spirit. We share the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, are we just going to keep coming on Sundays a little bit withered up, or are we going to get the fullness of the healing of God over our body, over our mind, and our spirit to get back on track to what God has called us to do. Amen. But we get stuck. And the question of this church and this scripture that I read today is at what point did the church become okay with its people not being okay? Now, that's a reverse of what we say. I say this to people when they're grieving. When I have people who have lost love, I tell them, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to break down. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we can look around the room and realize things aren't quite what they used to be. And we're not really moving forward the way God calls to be. We have to, instead of just saying, well, this is just the way it is. We can't do anything about it. God's not called us to a spirit of resignation. God has called us to a spirit of revival and renewal. And realize it's never going to be what it once was. Because guess what? God ain't worried about what was anymore. God's not a God of the past. God was in my yesterday, but he's not the God of yesterday. God will be in my tomorrow, but he's not called the God tomorrow. He is the I am. That is present tense. God is the God of right here. God is the God of right now. So that's why he tells me take no thought of tomorrow and worry about it. That's got its own problems today. Let's worry about today. Let's focus on today. Let's conquer the enemy today and we just got to move on from once was that was the hardest thing for me pastor when I left the church in Porterville to move to Kentucky when I got there we was this God grew us amazingly and when I left we was back to this and my pride in me was I can't leave it like this I gotta leave it better than I found it but God reminded me something about pride he said I'm not here to hurt your pride I'm here to kill it because it ain't my church in Porterville. This is God's church. If it's my church, it deserves to die, but it's God's church. This is God's church. God wants to move. God wants to heal, but we have to acknowledge that at some point, somewhere, we all seem to get stuck. And Jesus did not come on the scene to make a scene. Jesus came on the scene that his glory would be seen. So first we are stuck, but this is the beauty of Jesus. See, this is how Jesus is so different than so many of me and so many of us. See, I used to be a sports writer. Did I mention that earlier? I only say it to impress you, amen? But no, for 17 years, I was a sports writer. I covered the NFL for the San Francisco Chronicle. And don't boo me all at once. I actually wrote for the New York Times. Wow, California and New York Times. So yes, it's true. I'm the left-wing media conspiracy and the right-wing religious fanatic all at the same time, depending on who you ask. Amen? But when I was covering all this stuff and working in these newspapers, what I came to understand was we lived in a world where the truth is real. The truth is everywhere to be seen, but the enemy has put so much falsehood out there in the name of truth that we don't always know what to believe. Now, one of my favorite things as a sports writer, now, I, I don't know who your favorite football team is, but let's say you all like Louisville in, in basketball, okay? I, I, is that safe to say, kind of? So, 
Everywhere I go, it's Kentucky blue. I've got to pretend I like them because I don't want to offend people. But as a sports writer for 17 years, I knew what the truth was. The truth was your basketball team lost. That's the truth. As a sports writer, I get to decide what part of the truth I'm really going to tell you about, though. I get to really decide the truth that I'm going to share. And I get to color the truth however I want. And what I learned in 17 years as a sports writer, the coolest thing about my job was I got paid money to go watch your team play and then insult and critique the manner of which they played. And I never actually had to tell them how to fix it because I ain't the coach. They ain't my problem. This is your problem. And I worry sometimes that sometimes we do this. We're really good at telling everybody what their problem is. Really even good at telling pastor what the church's problem is. We're really good at identifying what is wrong. But Jesus walks in this scene. He doesn't just identify something's wrong. Jesus is a problem solver. Jesus finds solution. When Jesus reveals there's problems within the church dynamic, it isn't to condemn us. It isn't to wag an accusing finger in our face. He is here to expose a problem that his truth could bring healing to it, that he can resolve the problem. And this is what Jesus did here. Now, he walked into a situation where people were so stuck on how they always did things before. It'd be easy for Jesus to say, well, I ain't going to go there. They're stuck in their ways. But Jesus, he's determined to help his church. So he walked into a people who don't heal on Sabbath. That's out of order. We don't do this, that, and the other because this is the way we've always done things in the past. Jesus came to confront tradition. He came to confront their misinterpretation of truth. Jesus came to teach his church how to make a stand for something worth standing for. Our second point is stand. Let's turn to stand. All right, I'm already standing. You don't have to stand. You can stay seated. But we are Pentecostal. We ain't got rules about that stuff. Amen? You can stand and shout with me if you like. Jesus told the man to stand up. And the New Kings Version actually says to step forward. And boy, that'll preach a whole different way. Amen? Question at this point of time where we've been the last two years is what do we even stand for anymore? We see so many people in our midst who have just been hurt because they've lost people they love. They've lost jobs. We've lost homes. We've lost friends. We've even had relatives turn on us because of how we feel about a jab or a mask or, or an election or, or a social justice issue. I don't believe COVID brought the church a bunch of problems. I do believe that COVID revealed the problems that we have. Just like Jesus did when he walked into this room. I personally experienced what it's like to see people dying on hills that weren't the hill of Calvary. We died on every hill of every opinion. We almost embraced our Americanism. When I say Americanism, this is what I like to say to people. I'm an American. Everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. Amen? That's America right there. God has not called me to Americanism, though I am proud and honored to be an American. God's called me to be a Christian. I am a stranger and a sojourner in a strange land. This is not my home. I know we talk about my sweet old Kentucky home, and we got a great one on the campgrounds. I'm telling you, I had a 26-acre backyard. My kids played softball yesterday on it. They played basketball on it and everything. I love the campgrounds, but this is not my home, and this is not my kingdom. So you'll forgive me if I don't get caught up with the Oval Office, because my attention is more on the right hand of the Father, where Jesus ever makes intercession for me, and it's not that I don't have politics in me. It's not that I don't vote. It's not that I don't have an opinion on things. But what I do have and I need to have and I had to recapture, I had to realize I was making stands on hills that were not the hill of Jesus Christ's cross. And those have to be the secondary hill and the third hill where the thieves were hanging. Amen? Those are the lower hills, my number one hill. And the church has to get back to what we stand for is the word of God, the hill that we stand on. And we don't even, I say die on, you ain't got to die on the hill. Jesus already did. That's why Paul once wrote to the church after he was on Mars Hill and he 
reason them and their language and their knowledge, and not one person gets converted. The next time we see Paul writing, what's he say? I, I kind of paraphrase the King James. He said, I don't want to hear nothing out of y'all except Jesus Christ in him crucified. Paul tried arguing with the world at Mars Hill. They just said, oh, come back another time. We'll do round two. Paul tried to argue and reason with the synagogue men. They were still stuck in their traditions. Paul realized the answer that the world needs today is Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. Everything else is white noise. Everything else is secondary. And what we have to do as a church is we have to decide, I can't stand us being withered up anymore. I can't stand us not being at full capacity. I can no longer stand us not standing for Jesus Christ in our world. So Jesus told him to make a stand because he's not called us to this. He's not called us to an eternal brokenness. And I know what brokenness is. Whew, it's warm in here. Is it just me and I'm just preaching it up? Can I, take, can I take this off? Is that okay? All right. Don't worry. I've done Little Benny Hinn going on right there. Woo! Locked out three folks on the way. Amen. <laughs> when I came to Jesus, I was broken. I was actually here a few months ago for a youth rally. I shared my story. If you were here, you know my brokenness. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing that was broken in me wasn't my body. It was really my mind. See, my dad was an Irish drunk. My dad's dad was an Irish drunk. My mom's dad was a Mexican drunk. Her dad's dad was a Mexican drunk. If I believed that I just had to be the way I always was, I should right now be at a pub drinking tequila. Because that's what happens when a Mexican marries an Irishman. Amen? It don't have to be this way. I remember hating my dad when I got saved. He had done so much, I don't even have time for all that. What I didn't realize is, while I'm living for Jesus, I just can't stand him. I'm walking around church with withered up hands. And I can't reach anybody like this. All I can do is almost kind of feed myself a little bit, my Cheerios with a little spoon. But I don't know how to not be this. This is what I've always been. You see, some people were born this way. But in those days, it's, from what I read in history, it's pretty rare. You have somebody with a claw hand, with a withered hand. Matt, it's, it's always the same thing. 99% of the time. They was born healthy, they was born normal, they was born good, but something hurt them. And when they got hurt, you get nerve damage. They don't have the medicine and doctors that we have today. What happens is if I smash my hand out in the field or somebody smashes it for me, it gets clawed up, and because it doesn't heal, they say the arm just naturally over time, it just starts withdrawing and doing this. The rest of their life, this is what they are. They don't know how not to be this. I didn't know how to not be this from the abuse that I took throughout my childhood, the abuse that wrecked my family, the abuse that came to our family tree, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, things we didn't talk about in church 20 years ago. We just kind of ignored it. I grew up Catholic. We was really good at not talking about that elf in the room. This generation, they've lived it. They want to hear about it. They want to know they're not the only ones. And I'm here to tell our teenagers and our children, you're not the only ones who've been hurt. We've been hurt too. But instead of acting like we need to do something about this, we just turn to act like this is just kind of normal. And we're stuck in this. And Jesus is telling us to stand up and to step forward and to step out of this. Because we don't have to take this sitting anymore. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do many things. And first and foremost in my mind is to heal the broken hearted. When the church is this, we can't live out our purpose the way he called us to. Because how do I reach anybody with this? You ever try to reach someone with T-Rex arms? Amen? You guys know what T-Rex is? You know, if you're happy and you know it... Oh, you can't. Never mind. This is a church that don't reach nobody for Jesus. Because some people have hurt us. And so we withdraw our hand. We get in here. She can't get me no more. 
No one's going to hurt this hand again. I'm not getting healed either, but at least nobody will hurt me again. Jesus walked into the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand, and nobody in the church seemed to care or notice or give mind to it. And Jesus made a point to draw attention to it. And his reaction really blows me away here. Because when we talk about Jesus getting mad, we always talk about one thing, generally speaking. We talk about Jesus walking into the church, and they're selling stuff, and he turns the tables upside down, and he cracks a whip like he's Devo. He whaps him, says, you've made my house a den of thieves. But we just read in the scripture in Mark chapter 3, long before he turned the tables upside down, and when he walked in and saw a man with a withered hand and a people that were more concerned with protocol than the power of the Holy Spirit in its fullness, beyond a shout, said it angered him. And it grieved him for the hardness of their heart. It takes hardness of heart to get us to be at the place where we are okay with the people around us not being okay. And something happened last week. Guy was really upset about something. It was beyond trivial. I mean, it was trivial on steroids. And all I could think, people are lost and dying and going to hell, and I have to have this conversation? Made Jesus angry. Now, why did he get angry with the, at the house of God the other time? He said, you made my life a house and a den of thieves. See, I believe that's the one thing that makes Jesus angry. Say, well, what have we stolen? We are Pentecostal and have the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, which means he has given us the power to heal. But we're letting people in our midst walk around all withered up and ignoring the problem. It's as if we, the church, are robbing God of his glory that he wants to reveal to people like you and I to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. If we have lost a generation of millennials to Pentecost, it's because maybe, just maybe, they could not see past the shout of my day in church to actually see power to bring change, to see power to bring miracles and healing. This generation is, in fact, looking for a sign. Maybe that's why God said that we would do signs and wonders so that they can know we're not just another truth out there in the world that's full of them, but we know the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe this is the calling of the church, and for this to happen, we have to acknowledge we've been stuck in a little bit. We have to be willing to make a stand for something. And the third thing we have to do, we have to listen to Jesus when he says, stretch. Because this is our purpose, my friends. Whether you're a child, a parent, or a parent of a parent, we all have one purpose in life. It has to reach people with the love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we can't do it if we walk through life broken without allowing the healer to work on our brokenness. Now you think, well, why wouldn't you want to be fixed if you're broken? Because I didn't want to be fixed when I was broken. I wanted to hold on to my anger. I earned it. I promise you that. I earned that grudge with my pops. And God's just telling me, let it go. God's telling me, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. I held back from God because I didn't want to let go of it. I felt justified. I was still hurt. I was still angry. And this is the goodness of God, Pastor. You know what God did when I got saved and I held on to that feeling? And against all those people who did all those things to me? You know what God did to me? I went to church. He blessed me. I get up and sing a Red Book song. He'd anoint me. I started teaching Sunday school class. And he blessed them because good night. They needed it if I'm teaching. Amen. There's little kids. They drive me crazy. I'm like, where's the duck? Where's the duct tape? I can't handle this. I'm not a kids minister. I married one. I'm gonna go with the teenagers. Amen. God still let me grow. I mean, he had one healthy hand because it was restored as the other hand. But I can only go so far. And it was a year and a half later when I realized I've done everything I can with one hand. I've been living my life with one hand tied behind my back, and I've gone as far as that road goes. And God's showing me, if you want more of me, 
you got to stretch out your hand. you got to give me the rest. And it wasn't until I was ready for that. I said, Lord, I want you so much more than I want this hurt. But I don't know how. How do I stretch a hand that's been like this since I was a child? Well, Philippians, the most abused scripture on the face of the earth, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's why Steph Curry can score 40 points a game. Praise God, all right? I always would pray, Lord, give me the strength to do these things. But his word has it the other way around. He says, I can do all things through Christ. And if I'll just do it, the doing it will strengthen me. It's activating and walking in my faith that tells a withered up hand stretched to Jesus that gives this withered hand the power to stretch to Jesus. Because there is something for us to do. Jesus is the healer. But Jesus has called his church. We've got to stretch. We've got to reach forward. We've got to go from where we've been and reach to where he is in front of the past away from what was, into the promise of the future that he has prepared for us. We've got to be willing to stretch out. And here's what happens when I stretch. You see, I'm withered up right here. I got a bottle of water. Okay, I'm drinking my bottle of water. Hmm. Right? And he tells me to stretch. Something happens. David, my young, the other David, come on up. You can duck low if you don't want to be on camera. They'll hide you. I just want to drop it and have it spill over. You can write right here. So when I stretch... I'm reaching to Jesus. Sometimes I'm holding on to this. I got you. You ain't going nowhere. When I start stretching to him, see what happens? My fingers start opening up to stretch and reach to Jesus. In that process, I got to let this go. Because I can't hold on to Jesus and hold on to this. So as I stretch, I'm going to baptize you in the name of Jesus. Amen. No, no, no. I stretch and I stretch. Oh, catch it. Okay, we're going to have to cut out the stream. CPS will be waiting for me when I get home. Thank you, son. Go. Uh, oh, you take it. Yeah, wow. Wow. Well, that's actually great. Later on, if David ever ends up just not, not, not doing well in life, well, I did drop a bottle of water on his head at church one time. and hasn't been the same ever since. And in this healing process, and this is where I'm going to close here. I've got to land the plane because I'm a type 2 diabetic. I'm running out of sugar. Amen? I fall down, start shaking, stammer lips. Don't put a prayer blanket on me. Tell them what I got the Holy Ghost. Give me a peanut M&M. Amen? I'll get back on my feet right now. The story looks like, and it reads right, and it actually does say this, that Jesus restored his hand to health. I really don't think Jesus was that much, so much worried about the man's health and his physical well-being. As much as Jesus was focused on his purpose. You see, when I asked Jesus to heal people, you know, I never asked him, Lord, heal them so they feel better. Jesus died on a cross. I don't think feeling better was ever his primary aim in life. Jesus suffered incredibly. He said, if you'll take up my cross, it's a cross of suffering. It's a cross of shame. I just, I don't want to burst feelings here. I don't think I am. I know we got an old school pastor here. We don't do fuzzy Jesus. We don't do big old teddy bear who just wants you to always be happy. Uh, Jesus isn't terribly concerned with how we feel all the time. Though we do have a high priest who's moved by the feelings of our infirmity, but we do have a Jesus who's very focused and hyper-focused on our purpose. And as long as I'm like this, I can't reach the lost. As long as I'm like this, I can't reach down to the pit that Jesus pulled me out of to pull me somebody up. Because I need both hands. You see, I need one hand. When I'm out there, when you leave church today and you go to the restaurant and you have an encounter with God, with a waiter or waitress, and you feel God's just using you right now to reach to that mom right now who's a single mom, who's broke, who can't pay her bills, and she wishes she could be in church, but she's got to work on Sundays. And God inspires you to live your purpose with your healed, unwithered hand to reach to her. Here's the thing about reaching. I need both hands. Because with one hand, I'm holding on to my church, the body of Christ. They're holding on to me. We hold on to each other in prayer. Amen? 
The correct answer is amen. Yes, and if you're not, join the team. Holding on here. The other hand, I'm reaching down. Because if I only have the one good hand, and I reach down with my good hand, most of the time, people are a lot more lost than we are saved. Amen, which means they're stronger than us. They can go pull me in with them. Now I'm back in the mud. I don't like mud. I got a phobia about dirt. Amen, I wash my hands 80 times a day. I was doing that COVID stuff way before COVID. I'm just cool now, amen. If I try to reach in, they're going to pull me down. But if one hand holding on to my church family, my prayer warriors, my pastor, my youth pastor, and my other hand I'm reaching down, it's not just I'm the only one. You're the only one over a Cracker Barrel today from your church, maybe. I know. Odds are we'll all be a Cracker Barrel. Amen. I learned how Kentucky works. You're the only one there. But you're not the only strength being used. Because if you're holding on to your church, you've got 100 plus people just in this room easily using all their strength, holding people up, restored to our purpose. If he restores your health, it's to restore you to purpose to reach a generation, Matthew, who doesn't even know what truth means. It's pulling up a generation of millennials who are, have been, they thought a childhood was meant to prepare them for adulthood, but now they're spending their adulthood being repaired from their childhood. Amen. And we got to reach into them. And then we got some of our, some of our folks at the old senior citizen home who've been this way their whole life. They don't think they can change. They don't even know what a bad, deathbed uh, salvation is. And they need someone to reach in and pull them out even with the smell, the smoke of fire on them. If God's come today to heal what's withered in us, what's broken in us, when someone smashed our hand and this is our defense mechanism, he's wanting to restore us not to health as much he wants to restore us to our purpose. That we would be witnesses of him and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, even the ends of this world. This is who we are. This is why we are still here. I want Jesus to come back too. A worship team, come and join me. I want him to come back too, but he ain't here yet. Which means I still have a job to do. There's still souls to reach. There's still people to save. And on one hand, the church can't reach anybody. All we can do is just kind of hold on to each other. I don't know, anybody, anyone here, raise your hand if you ever sang Red Book songs back in the day. All right, I grew up, that's my, that's my history. There's only one I hated, and I just didn't like it. And I apologize, I guarantee it'll be someone's favorite, amen. Hold the fort, for I'm coming. God didn't call me to hold no fort. I'm sorry, I forgive me. He didn't call me to hold no fort. So he's given me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And I ain't seen no gates with legs. That means he's called me with purpose to storm the gates of hell, to take the gates of hell, and the power of the Holy Spirit with the keys to the kingdom to set captives free. But if you think you can open up a gate with keys, a withered up little hand, just go home after church, smash your hand with the hammer, fumble for your house keys, and try to get in the door. You won't. You need healing. We need to give up what we're holding on to. We need deliverance from what's hurt us. We need healing from the things that we have done. We need healing from the things that have been done to us. So we can get back in this post-COVID life, and I just mean post-arrival of COVID, in a new day, in a new era, in a different season than I ever want to walk into. Instead of wishing it was before, instead of hoping Jesus just heals it all and everything's back to normal, I've got to reach in the midst of it. If you know people like I know people, I've never seen so many people hurt openly in my life as the last two years. I've never seen so many people angry. Can't you feel the hurt everywhere I go? But the Spirit of the Lord's upon me to heal the brokenhearted. Give sight in its recovery to the blind. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord's return. To proclaim liberty to the captives, 
So you'll forgive me as I close. I don't have time to really talk about things that we talk about too much in church. How we feel about other people. How we feel about style. How we feel or don't feel about any substance. How we feel about this selection. How we feel about this decision. Let's get to where Jesus wants us to be. Not being okay when people around us aren't okay. But walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, praise the Lord. Stretch. Stretch out your hand. It takes trust, my friends. As I close with this last story, once upon a time, in an incredible lapse of judgment, I decided me, the sports writer, could actually be an athlete. So I joined the church softball team. I got hit the ball, pastors. And I remember I dug my foot in, push to run to first base, except it was clay, and it was slippery, and so I slipped, and I fell, and I flipped forward, I landed on this shoulder, I dislocated and separated my shoulder, all at the same time. I remember when they wanted me to do the rehab for my shoulder, once it was healed, I didn't want to do it. It's because I didn't trust my shoulder, that if I ever threw an overhand again, that it wouldn't just pop out because all you people who separated your shoulder before say, oh, it'll always come out. Thanks a lot. That helped. I didn't trust my shoulder. So now when I play catch with my daughter, for lover, sidearm it. That sidearm it. God's speaking to us right now. I have no doubt the Holy Spirit's speaking to you who are hurt. You don't trust your shoulder. You're not trusting the hand. You don't want it to hurt again. God is telling you, stop thinking you can trust in your shoulder. Stop thinking you can trust in your hand in the first place. Just trust in me. Peter didn't trust in his left foot or his right foot when he stepped out the water. He just trusted in Jesus. Jesus said, come out the boat. It means either I'm walking on this water or I'm going to drown because of all the dumb stuff I've done and I had it coming anyway. Either way, I trust him. So, Lord, as our prayer team comes forward, today... Help me trust you. When I played catch outside with my daughter yesterday, Lord, I just couldn't stop thinking about this message. I remember purposely throwing it overhand as hard as I could. It's not because I trust my shoulder, Lord. I want to demonstrate I trust you. You're telling me to stretch my hand forward. It's because you're here to bring healing. You're not here to disappoint. Maybe they've come to the altar ten times before and never got healed of that hurt, Lord. If you're saying stretch forward today, because this is the day. This is the moment of time. The other answers were never no. It was just not yet. But today, Lord, you are here to receive the glory for too many times that the church has robbed you of, oh Lord. Today is the day when you are healed or heal brokenness. You are here to heal us from the things we've done. You are here to heal us from the things that have been done to us, Lord. It's all the same to you. You are a healer. Restore us to purpose, Lord. That is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So whether you're a teenager, we're going to close and make this a house of prayer. We have a powerful prayer team who wants to join you, a worship team who's going to lead us in worship here. If you have found yourself today realizing, man, I've been stuck in this moment. I just can't get out. But you're hearing the Holy Spirit telling you, stand up. Step forward. And then just stretch your hand to heaven. Say, Lord, heal me. Restore me to health, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and return me to my purpose. If that's you here today, I want to invite you to come and join me. I want to pray with you. Our prayer team's going to pray with you. But if you need God to heal you of something that you just can't shake up, there's no shame in coming forward. There's victory and coming forward. Sometimes I used to think, Pastor, the ones that came forward were the ones that were worse off. Then I realized now most of the time they're just more honest, amen, because I'd sit there back in my pew. But I'm not an auctioneer. This is your opportunity. 
this is your day. Jesus walked into the synagogue. Jesus is angry that it's still this way, and he's angry enough to actually do something about it. He wants to heal you. So, Lord, as they come forward, Lord, as they step forward in faith, Lord, whether they're teenagers, Lord, whether they're parents, whether they are grandparents, Lord. Maybe there's some here today, Lord, who are married men, Lord, who won't come to this place because they're stuck in a bad spot and they want to come and pray for their husband. They want to pray for their children or their grandchildren, oh Lord. Today we are going to stretch to heaven. We're going to stretch out our hands to you. We will no longer be okay, Lord, with not things being okay. We ask you to help us in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. I invite you to come. If you'll come forward, I'm going to come. I want to pray. I'm going to pray for my sister today because she needs Jesus and she needs healing. So if you'll join me, let's make this a time of prayer, healing, and victory. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy, 